the Oakdale Christian Centre podcast. This week, Dave leads a study on Psalm 139. Psalm 139, for the director of music, of David, a psalm. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. So, um, anything, what's the first thing that jumped out to you with that chapter? Omniscience. Omni, omni, so you've got to know your languages, see, Latin and Greek. Omni means all, everything. And science is science, knowledge. So, he knows everything. Oh, Lord. But, um, as we'll come, we'll come up a little. Anything else? He's everywhere. Oh, bless the Lord. You see, again, what we do, we bring God down to our, our level, don't we? Sadly, when we do that, we minimize and we just don't understand how awesome he is. When we begin to see, that's why David was lifting up his eyes. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. You see, because God isn't like us, because he's spirit, He's outside of time and space. He can know everything, and he can be everywhere at one time, because he's God, of course. If he wasn't, then he wouldn't be any good God at all, would he? He'd be, you know, as uh, what, he, what did uh, 
say two things. Puny God. You don't remember that one? Okay, anything else? Oh. He searches. Tell you what, let's have a couple of verses just to underline that, and then we'll come back to that. He searches. Um, Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, and according to the fruit of his doings. So God knows us, God knows everything, he knows our hearts, and he searches. He's the God who searches, searches. How about these verses? We looked at these on Monday. Uh, David's last will and testament, last words to Solomon. Always important last words, aren't they? Um, they are vital, um, because up until then, if we know we come into the end, there's a bit more um, clarity of thought, hopefully. And uh, he's just wanted to pass on to Solomon the most important things that David has learned. Listen to what he learned, David. And uh, this is what he's passing on to Solomon. Now, Solomon, as we know, um, didn't listen. Well, he'd come back at the end, but in the, me in, the in the meantime, he messed up a big time, didn't he? 1 Chronicles 28, verse 8 and 9. So now I charge you and sign all Israel and the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God. see David, can't you, on his deathbed, passing these wonderful, seek him, love him, serve him, know him, and because uh, he knows your heart, you can't hide from God. Um, now, if you, if you just, again, it's good just to take your time, and that's why it's good just, just to rest in God's word, and, and uh, it's good to get a, a couple of translations sometimes just to, to see the different words, but you will notice um, in the first few verses there, when we talk about his omniscience, you can bring that up if you want to, Josh. Um, he uses four different verbs for, I don't got that, perception. What does he use? You know me, you perceive me, you discern me, you are familiar, acquainted. What he was trying to say is, look, be under no illusion, God knows you. Um, so he uses all those different words. And if you look at this particular passage, he's, of course, David is, um, is a poet. He's a singer. And he uses a lot of liter literary uh, mechanisms to get his point off. Um, one of them is called merism. Hey, look, tell you what, you're coming here and you're learning English literature, isn't you? You say, what's that, David? Well, what it means, he's using just for effect, he uses two of the opposites to, to, to bring the whole out. So if I said, I would say, I'm going to look everywhere. Yeah? That's what I would say, because I'm pretty short and to the point. But a literary person would say, I'm going to seek him high and low. That's a merism. You take the two opposites to actually uh, tell you about what he's trying to say, the whole. Yeah, so that's what he's doing, because he says right at the beginning, you know, when I sit and when I rise. You know, my thoughts are far off. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. 
even my words. What is he saying? I know your ways. I know your wise. I know your words. I know your ways. What you re- when you begin to re- read this, what I do find amazing is that th- when we look at all those things there, that they are not abstract intellectual things about God. Of course, they are. They describe God. But you see, more than that for David, they were the personal. God, you know me, and I'm known by you. I'm known by you. And you hem me in, your tender care. Why? Because you know me. Also says that God knows you and still wants to bother with you. Woo-hoo, isn't that amazing? He knows us. The word search there, he searched me, means to actually penetrate, to dig right down to the very core. Ah, now, now that's all right, isn't it? Because on the surface, you say, oh, Dave's a lovely boy. He's a lovely chap. But of course, you dig a little bit deeper and you'll find, well, he's not so good sometimes. And you dig a bit further and you think, well, well, how was he, how was he a minister? How was he a pastor? Get him out. Sack him. Why? Because, but God knows. God searches and there's nothing outside and he knows me. The word know, you will find it in this Psalm seven times. So he's trying to tell us something. He knows me. Uh, that word means to be, uh, to, to know us, know intimately. In fact, the word is, is very clear, isn't it? Acquainted with, very close. And there's nothing outside uh, that he doesn't know us. Anybody else? Anybody any other thoughts? Yes. So if he knows us, um, he's with me. Protect, protection. What does it say there? Look, look, look that's a great verse. He, he's, um, he's saying, God, you know me. Verse 5 it is. You hem me in behind and before. Um, but then there's a personal touch. You see, again, we, we're looking, we, again, just read it, but look what he's saying. Again, he's using literary language. He's laid his hand upon me. Because that, that's personal, isn't it? When you put your hand on someone, you're touching them, there's, there's that connection. He's, he's awesome, he's far off, yet he's as close as you. He's imminent, transcendent, but he's imminent. There's a personal touch. Lord, he said, you hem me in. It means to be encircled by, or uh, the old version is to be a rampart around me. Ah, you know me, you want to come into my life, and you've been my protection, Lord. You my rampart, you hand me. There's that tender care of the Father. Um, and of course, you will notice, uh, again, um, there are four, what we call stanzas, four separate uh, areas to this psalm. Again, with all those particular elements that he's trying to tell us who God is. God is this. And he finishes off that first stanza by just getting so overwhelmed with God. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. David is there in that, well, he may have been in the house of God, may not, but he loved the house of God. So he was in the house of God just before the Lord in just basking in his presence, just understanding or trying to understand, gazing on the Lord and saying, Lord, you know everything about me. And uh, this is amazing. There's nothing, there's, you know everything, where I am, how, what I'm doing, even the words, the next words on my lips. And he's just, just overwhelmed. David says, I'm too, it's too wonderful for me. Because even though you know me, you put, you come around about me. You, you tend to care, your hedge is about me. Thank Lord God for that hedge. Tell you what, when we get to heaven, we look back and we think, ooh, 
Some of us, the way we drive, good job, there's a hedge about us. Bless the Lord. Although, I don't know, be careful now. The angels do get off at a certain, certain uh, rate of miles per hour. Okay, God's omniscience. How about his omnipresence? Well, let's have another verse. Psalm 147, 4 and 5. His understanding is infinite. Um, and you know what? The, the more uh, we were watching something about spying the other day about computers and the, the ability of computers, so often we say, oh, how can God, you know, look after this? And look Let me tell you now, they got so, the power of the computers. Now they've changed, you know, our home computer is nothing. They got these, what was it called? Qubits, wasn't it? Qubits, which quantum, which, well, there's, there's, uh, there's uh, a nick there, I should tell you. With the power of processing is like millions of times quicker than our home computer. Is that right, Chris? Uh, nick? Yeah, there we are. So you think how quick your computer is at home and that what they're making now, what they can do. So don't tell me, oh, how is God? Look, if we can make, human beings can make things like that, how much more can God? Who's awesome. No, he's nothing. He's, he's so great. And of course, we said, didn't we, all those billions of stars, and he knows them by name. I was thinking the other day, I was, um, no, I was thinking, sometimes you think, didn't we? I was thinking about people that have, have um, in my past, as I grew up with and in university, I'm thinking, what's their name now? Uh, and you forget it, don't you? I'm not great on names, I must be honest. Face is good. Well, you're not great on names, are they? No, I know it. So, but God does not forget his is. His, Amazing. He understands everything. His understanding is infinite. What about the next pit? He's, 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 that's the end of that first under. Then he says, where can I go? There's, the, there's our omnipresent. He, and that's a great thing. What it means is, there's nowhere I can go that God can't be with me. Now be careful, because you say, I'm going, now go where he's telling you, isn't it? So many people, oh, I can go there, I can do this. No, 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 no. Wait a minute now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because although God will be with us, doesn't mean he wants us to go there. He'll never leave us or he'll never forsake us. But we, there's no, and so again, he uses merism again. What does he say? He said, if I go to the heaven, he'll be there. If I go to Sheol, the grave, he'll be there. If I go to the, uh, what does he, instead of saying the, uh, the east, he says, um, what does he say? He says, the winds of the dawn. Where does the sun come up? East and the far side of the sea. He, he, he's using those those vast, vertically, horizontally. It doesn't matter where I go. But also, remember, think of this now. He's using eternal dimensions as well, because Sheol not only means at the grave in the Old Testament, it meant eternity, eternity, the grave eternal. So he, he's he's into eternal dimensions now, Lord. If I wherever I am, you're not going to be far from me. You're going to be with me. Thankfully, then he says, what does he say? Even though I think I'm in the dark, and the Bible says that word dark there, and it, it, it overwhelms me, it says. It bruises me. It covers me. I tell you what, you know, if you walk with the Lord long enough, you'll have times where you think you're in the dark, that God's a million miles away, that you don't know what's going on, that you can't see the answers and the, and, the, and the questions, and you don't know the questions, you don't know the answers either or. But you know what? The Bible says, even in darkness, Lord, it is light to you. God is with us. God has not left us. Um, it seems that way. But remember, what is he doing? What does he say when he says, he, he, he withdrew to see what was in his heart. To 
see what's in his heart. And uh, well, again, again, be careful when we're in that kind of darkness. The first thing we always do, Lord, wait a minute now, I haven't got myself in this sticky spot because of silliness or sin. Make sure that's the first protocol, isn't it? Once you've dealt with that, then you say, Lord, okay, I, I don't, I'm walking with you. I'm walking with you. Even in darkness, it is light to you. Why? Because the Bible says, again, his word and our feelings, you can't leave me. You are my father. You are my, you are my God. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Omniscient. Uh, nothing hidden from his sight. Uh, Hebrews 4, 12, 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So the Bible says, is I, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Again, using that sort of that picture, um, <laughs> his eyes are everywhere. The eyes, his eyes of the Lord are running around. You've got that picture in your head. No, but what you say, he's everywhere. He sees, he knows. And of course, again, Hebrews 13 says, well, there's good and bad, isn't it? There's, there's peace and protection and, uh, in a sense, prosperity when God is with you, contentment. But he also says, no, wait now, God is with us. He'll never leave me enough for sake. He's also be pure as well. Why? Because he's always there. He's always there. He sees everything we do. And sometimes because, you know, we, we are on our own. <laughs> of course we're not, do we? God is there keeping us. Keeping us. That's why we should always be uh, ever, ever alert. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 23-24. Just to settle down there now, Lord, am I not a God far off and close by? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? This is an awesome God. Our God is awesome. He fills the heavens and earth. Nowhere outside his presence. Nowhere from him. And uh, again, he finishes our stanza just again amazed that, Lord, when even when it's dark, it's still light. Even when I'm crowded in, crowded down, pressed down, you are with me, omnipresent. Anybody else? Any thoughts? Looking there? Correct. He knows us, and of course, we'll, we, as we just proceed in that, the, David the psalmist then appeals to the Lord, doesn't he? That's his, his last his response um, to come. Right, now then we come into um, his omnipotence, that he is the creator. Now remember, David has no real clue about anatomy or biology, but you know what today? We, we do. And, uh, you know, he begins to say, Lord, um, how awesome you are. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And the more we know about the body, we know we are, it is impossible. Let me just say it again. It's impossible for us to be evolve. That is an impossibility. Scientifically, you can argue with it. Let me tell you, it's absolutely impossible. Let me just give you this. One square inch of skin. One square inch of skin. What's that? About that big. Back of your hand. Has 65 hairs. Not on my head, though. <laughs> 65 hairs, um, 625 sweat glands, um, 
nine and a half million cells, 19,000 sensory cells in one square inch of skin. Skin, of course, is the biggest organ in the body because it regulates our temperature. Um, and if they didn't work, you would overheat and die, or you would freeze, and you know, either way, you go in. That's just on the skin. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God is awesome. God is mighty. We've got a new machine in work. I was just talking to the other guy the other day. I said, wow, things have changed in 30 years since I've been working. We have a machine in work now that actually takes a cross-section of the retina at the back of the eye. So the 10, maybe 12 layers, depends on how you're going to count it. Of the layers, it, it gives you... And you know, you're talking about microscopic. And it takes a, a, a picture of all those levels. You can tell what's going on in every single level of the retina which has millions of receptors, which takes light into the eyes uh, and then sends a pulse back to the brain through chemical reactions. So the brain then has to interpret what he sees or what she sees. Don't tell me that. I, that's an impossible. That's got to be working instantaneously for it to work. Otherwise, it couldn't evolve. No. You know, that's just, just a few things. Your heart, well... Amazing, isn't it? Heart beats dependent 100,000 times a day. And really, that's all that's keeping you going. I didn't think you'd come tonight. I'd be encouraged you now. Hundred, your heart, just as big as your fist, that's what keeps you going. And when God says, okay, Dave, time for that heart to stop, it's going to stop. But that's all that's keeping me going, that, that heart, 100,000 times a day. It goes up when I get the credit card bill in. Could be 150,000 that particular day, depending if it's pre-Christmas or post-Christmas, isn't it? Pre or post-sale, isn't it? Depending. But you know what? When we understand the majesty of just, Augustine said, people go here, they go to the top of the mountains, they go to the seaside, they go to the countryside, and he said they forget to look in the mirror. Well, he didn't say the mirror, but forget to look at the wonder of creation right before them, this body. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. And, and David, knowing nothing about it, said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And uh, Lord, you framed me. Uh, the word there re really means um, to be an embroider, to fabricate, to, uh, in a sense, not so much, I suppose you can say needlework. Me together and my life together. Secure, I'm special, amen. Secure. And you know what? God's got a scheme, a schematic plan for my life. He's got that for me. He says, my days are all numbered out, Lord, before you. They are. My days are all numbered out before you. And uh, Lord, uh, uh, your thoughts are precious to me. Uh, where to count them, of course, the grains of the sand. And uh, he said, your, your words, your, my days are fashioned. Again, that's, again, the potter. He's you bringing the potter in. Lord, my life, let it be like you are molding it and fashioning it. The only one who can stop that, of course, is me. No one else. God, do that. I always remember um, talking about embroidery and sewing. I remember when we were in junior school, we used to make the, um, remember those little mat things, didn't we? And uh, you, you'd put in love, love to mom or cross stitches. Oh, I didn't know what it was called. I remember doing it. And... Uh, and of course, it, when it, you thought it was a wonderful thing, but if you looked at the back, what a mess. You didn't know what was going on, did you? It was all 
Well, it wasn't much good in the front mind, but, uh, but the front should have been a beautiful message, a beautiful picture, something that's really lovely and structured. And you know what? Sometimes we can do that with God, can't we? We are looking from the back, as if you were, at the mess that we think it is. But, you know, God's got it all in the hand. He's sovereign. That's why he's saying here, Lord, you are sovereign. You know, you understand my days are numbered and you've got my plan, the plan of my life. Everything is all squared up. You are sovereign. Amazing, really. Um, and he's just basking in that. Uh, Isaiah 40, 25, 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, mm-hmm. that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell. That bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they, uh, they shall not be planted, yea, they shall not be sowed, yea, their stock shall, stock shall not die and take root in the earth. They shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will he liken me? Or shall I be equal? says the Holy One. Lift up thine eyes on high, and behold who hath created these things. And bringing out their host by number, he calleth them out all by names and the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power and not one failure. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest of Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the, air, the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither weary, there is no searching or understanding, he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall, shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall fail and utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not God is awesome. And of course, there they were. They were complaining. Why, O Israel, are you complaining? Oh, Lord, my way is hidden from you. My cause is disregarded by my God. Then he says, do you not know? Have you not heard? God is the everlasting God. He's again challenging their thinking. He knows what they think. And he says, come on, remember who you're talking to. God is an awesome God. That's what the Bible says. Nothing is impossible with him. Again, Jeremiah said, Lord, I don't understand this, but I know there's nothing too difficult, nothing too wonderful, nothing too hard for you. Why? Because you're the creator and you are omnipotent, all-powerful. You're all-powerful. And so he's speaking to them and said, look, turn to me, lean on me. I am strong and, you, and, I, and I want to give you that strength. Those who wait upon the Lord, wait upon him, tie yourself to him, rest on him. Hey, bless the Lord. Listen to what Paul, remember Paul goes to Athens and he's walking through the streets and uh, he, he, he's grieved. He's grieved because he sees so much idolatry and uh, he goes first of all, he goes to the synagogue and says, what have you, you haven't been out there preaching the gospel or preaching the gospel they knew. And then he, he, he begins to speak in the streets. And then the Areopagus, the intelligent men of, of Athens, I like these men because that's all they did all, all day was sit around and, and discuss new ideas. That's my kind of job. And uh, they invited him in and listened to his sermon. Listen to what he pinpoints to remind them that our God is not like any other God. He's not a God of our own imagination. Acts 17. 
full length stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Many other things. I see that in every way you are very religious. As I walked around and looked carefully at the objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Will that be worship as something unknown I am going to proclaim to you? The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the world. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far away from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of you some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. An image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. For He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. We have given proof of this for all men by the raising Him from the dead. He goes back and he, he, He's bringing their attention to God of Israel. The creator God. He said, look, now I can see you're religious. There's something in the heart of man that wants, that has to have something to worship or something to look to, isn't it? We see that, so that's why we've got so many religions. And um, you know, people say they're atheists, but there's very few of those, really. They believe in something, and uh, some unknown God, maybe. But let me just, I'm going to tell you who this God is. He's the creator. He's the creator. And you are created by him. And uh, he's everywhere, he's all-powerful because he says that in him you have your life. And when you're done, that's it. And then you stand before him. He's the great God and he's, he's bringing their attention to who God is. And David is doing the same. He's saying this is, this is who God is. He is omniscient, he's omnipresent, um, he's with me. Um, what happens then is that I'm secure, I'm at peace. I know that he holds me. I know that he guides me. He's omnipotent. He's a creator. So then uh, God has a purpose and a plan for my life, and he's able to fulfill it. If I follow him, if I stay in his arms, if I stay resting on him, he can fulfill all that. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Anybody else now? Anybody thinking as we come to the last few verses? Anybody? Uh, Nick has said correction, and we have about salvation. Anything else? Now he, again, brings another characteristic of the Lord, the holiness of God. Because now he, he's beginning, because he's in God's presence, he's beginning to see like God sees. He's beginning to know as God knows. That's how we, how we, be, how we know someone, how we, how we um, get to know someone. How, how do we do that? Spend time with them, of course. And you get to know their habits and their flaws and 
holiness of God. You see, now, and then he begins to pray, Lord, I see those who, who disregard your ways, who, who blaspheme your name, who take your name into disrepute, who actually bring you down to their level and despise you. And then he begins to say, Lord, I, I hate them with perfect hatred. Now, we, we, we get confused here, don't we? Because we, we love everybody. God loves everybody. But let me say, when we love God, you hate evil. The Bible says, again, uh, Proverbs, uh, Psalms, Romans 12, 9, those who hate evil uh, love God. No, he says, hate evil and glory in the good. Psalm says, if you love God, you will hate evil. There's a hatred of evil that we've got to have. Why? Because God hates sin. Why? Because he sees the, the, the end result. He sees the consequences. We see it in front of our eyes every day, don't we? We see it. And, and uh, sometimes we don't see the actual effect of it. I was just thinking the other day that, about people's lives and people's, how, how they get into pickles. And I'm thinking, what, what's, what's the background and what's, what have they gone through? What have they done? And I'm thinking, you know what? When God said a particular thing, he knew what he's talking about. He knew, he knew what he was talking about. And he's talking about the holiness of God. And of course, God formed us, but he wants to transform us as well. Um, uh, now, he's praying like that, but of course, uh, thankfully, uh, there's a check in his spirit. Because we've got to be careful, see, because I can get angry with things um, that it, it can spill over into anger, my anger, <laughs> what I don't like. And we've got to be careful there because we're all close to that. God says, be angry and do not sin. Didn't he? Be angry, but do not sin. Um, so we, he's, he's checking himself with the holiness of God. And we'll come to those last verses more. But let's see what happens when we come into God's presence. Isaiah 6. We know this very well. Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. Yes, in the year that King Hesiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of the road filled the temple. And then above him were seraphims, each with six wings, with two wings, they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty, but who on earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am willing. For I am a man of uncleanness. I am, and I live among a people of uncleanness, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And one of the seraphims did to me with a light coat in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. You see, we have an encounter with God, and the first thing we do, we see as as uh, David the Psalmist, Lord, you search me and know me, dear me, overwhelmed 
by the holiness of God. And remember that Isaiah, uh, up until then, they were, he begins to use a new name for God because he had a revelation. He knew, again, just revealing of God's God, the Holy One of Israel. That's what, who begins writing it. Isaiah, no one said it before, and I think anyone else, actually. Isaiah is the person who says it about 50 times. Why? Because he had a revelation. He's holy. And when we stand before an awesome, mighty God, we are just taken aback. And here is David. He has just gone through the some of the characteristics of God, and he is just overwhelmed. And he says, and then he invites the Lord. There's his response. You see, responses. Isaiah was Lord. Here I am. Send me. David's response was Lord. Six responses. Six things he said. Lord, search me. Well, God's already done that, but of course now what he's doing, he's, he's responding. Lord, search me, and actually reveal it to me. Because God knows, but um, you've got to reveal these things to me. And that, thankfully, God doesn't do it in one go. Oh, we'd be in trouble, <laughs> wouldn't he? But little by little, step by step, God is doing the work. Search me, Lord. That penetrating, uh, incisive uh, work. Of course, he does that primarily through his word. We just read it. The word of God is sharp and active, cutting between thoughts and intense contents. Our 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 purposes, our inward reasoning, our passions. See, we have sometimes we, our passion gets overwhelms us, and we need God's word. God says, "No, no, no, that's your passion, Dave, but it's not my passion, and that's got to go to the side. It's got to go to the side." He says, "Try me, try me, Lord, prove me, test me." We looked at that in the New Testament. Word is 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 to prove metals, and of course, when you do that, you um. You uh, heat them, you hit them, you stress them, you mark them, you uh, put them under the microscope. That's how you test the metal. So, it's, Dave, I'm going through a difficult time. Well, the Lord's trying you, proving you, strengthening you. Oh, Lord, try me. Know my thoughts. Uh, know my heart. Search me. Know my heart, he said. Know my heart. Why? Because there is always our biggest problem, our heart, isn't it? Remember we said about Samson on Sunday, up, up until the moment he, 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 he gave all his heart away, God was merciful. So we always, I, always, I remember reading Simon the Sorcerer, and I'm getting confused because he, he, he's, he's got saved, isn't he? What we think. He's got baptized, and he's going around with the disciples, and he's, he's so enthralled by the preaching and the miracles. And then when he sees the baptism of the Spirit, he says, I want, that. I want a bit of that. I, let me buy it from you. And what he, what's that? he's revealing his heart. Because Peter says, your heart is not right. And the thoughts came from your heart. I think verse uh, uh, 20, 22, 23, um, Acts 8. See, it's our heart. He said, know my heart, Lord. Know my heart. And what he's saying is, Lord, let me know it. Because God knows, but what he's, he's responding to God. Let me know my heart. Try my thought. Try me. Know my thoughts. Know the battlefield of my mind. My cogitations, my thoughts, my um, design and way that I'm thinking. Know them. My anxious thoughts. Know them, Lord. Know them. And then he says, see, is there any wicked way in me? The wicked way that those ways that are uh, painful. 
sometimes we, we think, oh, look at that. Let me tell you, wickedness and going doing your own thing ends up with pain and sorrow and emptiness. Lord, save me from that. And it also, the, the, the word can mean any idle way in my life. I-D, not just L-E, but I-D-O-L. Anything that's stopping me from walking your way. See, Lord, please. I, I know you're seeing. It means to, see means to really, again, inspect to look at, to gaze over, to watch over, and show me, Lord, those things in my life that are going to cause me difficulty and pain, get them out of the way. Anything that stops me from following hard after you, distracts me, diverts me, we all have them. Why? Because we're this side of eternity. And that's why this psalm is fantastic. Because the psalmist is saying, Lord, I know who you are. Now my response to you is, Lord, please, um, search me, Know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me. And now, Lord, lead me, guide me, transport me, straighten me in the everlasting way. When he's talking to Simon the sorcerer, he says, your heart is not right. Your heart is not perpendicular. Your heart is not upright, he said. There's still wickedness and bentness in your heart, Simon. And that's why he says, Lord, straighten, straighten me. And lead me in the eternal way. Lead me in the way everlasting. Ah, you see, the Bible never considers a truth to be known until it controls the life of the learner. See, now I can say, Dave, well, all these I know, all those, true. But David is coming from a point of knowing them and having a personal, experiential knowledge of them. Knowing God, knowing that he is awesome, knowing that he's omnipresent, knowing he's omnipotent, knowing that he's holy. Why? Because he's been in his presence. And they are personal now. They're not, um, again, as we said, some intellectual theory. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us to know that he knows me. Know that he's with me. Know that his purposes and plans are sure for me. And my response is, Lord, search me. Test me, know me, see me, lead me, or oh, help us. Uh, 1 Peter 4, finish, 1 Peter 4, 12. Judgment begins with us. 
or if we are not being more like him, and not just knowing, but actually knowing personally, then they got no hope outside. Have they? The Bible says, if we had, it begins that, it begins here. And he says, look, you're going to have suffering, you're going to have difficulty. Why? Because Jesus is where before us. And, you know, when we do, the glory of the Lord is upon us. Now he said, no, be careful, you don't get suffer because you're, <laughs> you're breaking the law or causing trouble. He said, that's not what I'm talking about. He said, but all oh, that you would have such the glory of God upon us that that would, that, you see, that disturbs people sometimes. And uh, we are salt and light. And uh, when you put salt on a wound, you're going to jump. You're going to jump. When you put light on something, it, it, it illuminates, but it also shows the defects and uh, the faults, doesn't it? That's why when you look in the mirror in the morning, just leave the light off. Wonderful, wonderful. You stick the light on and you think, oh, okay, there we are. Didn't like what it was like that. Uh, why? Because it illuminates. So help us, Lord, like the psalmist David. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. God, please, see. Lord, lead me. Test me. Lead me. See if there's anything in me, anything because I want to be on the way. I want to be on that straight and narrow, not easily diverted and distracted. Our God is awesome. And when we have an encounter with him like that, our response is what? Lord, here I am. Lord, you, you have searched me, but have it. Open my life up to you. You know it, but then reveal it to me day by day by day. So I'm closer to you. I'm on the everlasting way. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. To find out more about our church, including our service times, visit www.oakdalechristiancentre.org.